Hey, Gaggle listeners, this is your producer, Taylor Seeley. You may remember me from last week's episode. I wanted to let you know this episode was recorded the morning of Monday, November 12th, just before the Senate race was officially called. Later that day, it became official. Kirsten Cinema, the Democratic candidate, will be Arizona's next senator. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you alongside reporters to talk Arizona politics. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And I'm tired. Ha! <laughs> okay, I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. But actually, you're totally not kidding, because we've been working our tails off. And, you know, unlike most of the country, our election day has really not ended. It's election week these days, it seems like. So we're recording today's episode on Monday, November 12th. The Senate race has not officially been called, but all signs point to Kirsten Sinema being Arizona's first Democratic senator in 30 years. Right. So she'll also be the first elected female senator from Arizona, the first openly bisexual senator in the chamber's history. And um, she certainly has made the best showing for any Democrat in 30 years. So how did a Democrat win? a traditionally red state like Arizona. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much. She for rewrote being here the playbook. Yes. I spoke to Congress. And based on how this race has played out for her, for her our guess is Democrats here and across the country are taking note. As I head to serve our great state in the United States this Senate. This didn't happen by I accident. Have... Both of these candidates, two congresswomen who have served several years at least on Capitol Hill, they had a game plan before their Senate campaigns even started. Right. So running for the Senate was always in their mind for some time. Uh, Kirsten Cinema looks like uh, reserved a website for herself back in 2015. And we've seen that um, Martha McSally reserved a website for her Senate campaign two days after John McCain's diagnosis with cancer was publicly known. And they also took months to enter the race formally. Uh, Kirsten Cinema entered in at the end of September of 2017, and Martha McSally came in in uh, January of 2018 after making clear in October that she was planning to do this. So both women had a long runway to get in the race, and they both come from House districts that are competitive. And they knew, having been through tough races in the past, that they wanted to be able to negotiate some pretty choppy waters. And um, I think they were pretty careful about what their strategy would be very fundamentally. So I came onto the beat sometime in the spring. And I remember following Martha McSally around as she was making her campaign pitch during the primary election to Republican voters. And I remember Kirsten Cinema had just gone up on air. She had some pretty good-looking ads. Um, they were clearly intended to introduce herself to a statewide, broad audience. She's real headstrong. I call it being independent. I bring people together. Uh, and I remember McSally expressing frustration that already she's only raised, I don't know, a couple million dollars. And 
her potential opponent in the general election was already on air. And I remember her telling the Republican Women's Club that there was just absolutely no way that Kirsten Cinema would have enough money to stay up on air through the general election and that it was vitally important that people donate to her campaign so that she could get up on air and like start to make her case to voters. And at that moment, I knew this was going to be a pretty epic race because they were blowing through so much money and I could just see the frustration in McSally's, you know, face and in her voice that, you know, she knew this was going to be a tough hill to climb. So McSally, meanwhile, is in the middle of a really bruising primary election. Yeah. And I think this is one of the the characteristics of this race that really probably changed it more than anything else is that Martha McSally had to first beat back conservative opposition. She had to consolidate Republican support. And looming over all of that is President Trump, who, with one well-placed tweet, could probably vaporize any candidate in this race. And Martha McSally felt the need to at least neutralize that, if not own the president's support, if she could get it. This forced her to head far to the right, and it was the way to win the Republican primary. But at the same time, you have Kirsten Cinema, who is facing really nominal opposition in the primary, and she is able to sort of cast herself in a general election light as early as the spring. Cinema is able to act like she's getting ready for November in April. Yes, and her opponent had virtually no money, was not up on TV. So at the same time, when Kirsten Cinema would get questions about President Trump, she coolly would say, this race isn't about him. My campaign, my candidacy is not about him. This is about the state of Arizona. This is about everyday Arizonans. I'm going to stick to the issues. She did not answer some of the questions that came to her about the tumultuous news coming out of Capitol Hill. And that was straight from her playbook. She kept a very disciplined message. She knew very clearly who she wanted to reach. While Martha McSally was trying to juice the base and enthuse Republican voters to come out for her during the primary election, as you said, Kirsten Sinema is already talking to the moderate Republican women and independent voters about the issues that are atop, you know, on top of their minds, namely health care. You know, contrast it with Martha McSally on health care, where she voted with the Republican majority in the spring of 2017 to essentially take away health care coverage from 20 million people. She did do other things later in the summer after the John McCain thumbs down moment, for example, that ended effectively the Republican efforts to take away the Affordable Care Act. Martha McSally was part of the bipartisan effort that included Kirsten Cinema to try and shore up the individual insurance markets, but that's a detail. The thing that people remember, if anything, about her was that she voted in line with the GOP efforts that would have taken away lots of health coverage for lots of people, and she did it in a profane way that I won't say on our podcast, but you have Kirsten Cinema clutching children needing health care coverage, and you have somebody saying, let's go get this thing done. Only that's not what she said. Right. And you have, as this campaign is careening 
towards a close, you have Martha McSally saying on conservative talk radio that she's getting her ass kicked. Literally, that's what she said. I'm getting my ass kicked. I did vote to repeal and replace Obamacare on that House bill. I'm getting my ass kicked for it right now uh, because it's being misconstrued by the Democrats. They're trying to... You have uh, PolitiFact, a fact-checking website that's coming out and almost in real time fact-checking the claims that she's out there trying to protect people who have pre-existing conditions. And you have cinema sharpening and honing her attacks in a way that she hadn't done previously in this election to really drive home that message and to make sure that there was a fine point on it, that while she stood to protect health care for people, Martha McSally voted to take it away. You just cannot change those facts. And so in the final stretch of this thing, there were very clear distinctions about where the candidates stood on an issue that perhaps more than anything, maybe with the exception of illegal immigration and border security, really resonated with a portion of the electorate, particularly in Maricopa County, that Kirsten Sinema needed to become the first Democrat in 30 years to run away with the Senate seat. Yeah, and I I agree with all of that. And I think there there was something else that we can't ignore in this race, and that is the the death of John McCain. Uh, McCain cast a long shadow over this race, but there was the moment in August, if you remember, the the ceremony in New York where the president is signing the Pentagon spending bill and Martha McSally was at his side to sign this bill that has John McCain's name on it. And of course, the president didn't mention John McCain's name. I'd like to recognize Congresswoman But neither did Martha McSally. And as it turned out, Senator McCain died 12 days after that. It just really left a bad taste in the the mouth of a lot of people that won't go away and certainly not anytime soon that Martha McSally didn't stand up and defend the honor, the reputation, the, the respect that McCain had garnered in this state for sure, as well as the rest of the country and and the world. You know, beyond McCain, I think the other figure who hung over this race was Donald Trump. I mean, Martha McSally thought that by staying close to the president, that would deliver a win. And it almost did. She came very, very close. Right. And, you know, the thing, though, is that she got wiped out in Maricopa County. She ran up significant deficits, and that's always problematic. But she also lost in Pima County by wide margins. In fact, she lost Pima County by more than she lost Maricopa County. And the, you know, the part that has to sting the most is most of Pima County is in Martha McSally's district. These are the people who knew her best and rejected her by the widest margin among the counties that mattered. So all in all, how McSally and Cinema campaign differed immensely, and we see how each one played out. So the other interesting lesson from this race is how Kirsten Cinema also sort of vanquished the Democrats uh, as well as the Republicans. She seems to have charted her own course. Yeah, so Cinema, I would say, fundamentally upended Democrats' playbook for winning a high-profile statewide race. She did this by barely, really, identifying as a Democrat 
None of her ads identified her as such. They really cast her as an independent or a Republican, even more so than they did a Democrat. Representative uh, Cinema, are you a Democrat? I am. Proud Democrat? Gosh, it's hard to say proud. I don't know that. And this was very, very frustrating for a lot of those progressive grassroots Democrats who were yearning and still are yearning for a Democratic candidate who inspires them and who stands for the same values that they stand for, some of the same policies that they stand for, in some instances, maybe abolishing ICE. And I voted for $1.5 billion of border security, which included funding for President Trump's border wall. Or I'm single fine with health care. This is a playbook that was clearly successful for Kirsten Cinema, but one that faced intense criticism by people on the ground. Well, it, and it went even beyond that because we had at least two visits that we know of by Nancy Pelosi in, in the past year uh, talking to folks in Arizona, Stan- helping in house campaigns, notably with Greg Stanton in Cinema's district. Um, you had Kirsten Cinema skip these events. She would be nowhere near Nancy Pelosi. She was always quick to make note that in her three terms, she never in- voted for Nancy Pelosi to be House Speaker. So she was distancing herself, actively distancing herself from the folks that she in her own party. She also uh, continued that to say, I'm not going to vote for Chuck Schumer as the majority leader in the Senate either. So Kirsten Cinema did a lot to distance herself from Democrats. She also stayed away from the policies. But talk about um, how she was regarded by folks at the Democratic grassroots level. So I was, I, I attended several grassroots Democratic events, and there was always this emotion hanging over the events by people on the ground. And it was, Kirsten Cinema thinks she's too good for us, or we're not good enough for Kirsten Cinema, and she won't even dignify our party or, or our, our, our organization with her appearance. And what does this say about Kirsten Cinema? Well, it says she's not a real Democrat. So this sentiment continued throughout the entire cycle. And I don't know that anyone would necessarily, you know, put their names behind these sentiments these days, but. I was at the Democratic Party at the Renaissance Hotel on election night, and this is as the first results posted, and it was close. I mean, these are election day votes that were cast, and there was no winner that night. For someone who has cast herself as a very gracious and grateful uh, player in this race, someone who uh, has a lot of gratitude for the volunteers and the staffers who poured their hearts and their souls into this race, she didn't even come down and thank people at the hotel. Now, neither did Martha McSally, but people expected, given cinema's reputation, to at least thank these people for that. So there were a lot of people on the ground who were really upset about it. And some Democrats even seemed giddy that she was down because this loss in their minds, would have proven their point that validated their point that she needed to become a Democrat overtly in both policy and label to win a race like this. And as we've seen, that actually is not what happened. Yeah, it's kind of stunning. You know, 
whatever they may have felt on election night, though, this is now Kirsten Sinema's party. She owns the Democratic Party in Arizona. She has cast the mold and set the template for how Democrats can win statewide again. So Kirsten Sinema's win will impact Democrats far beyond this cycle and not even just here in Arizona, but for politicians across the country. Yeah, this is going to be something that a lot of political analysts are going to study for months to come uh, as they look ahead to 2020. If you look at the seats that are up in the next election cycle, you're looking really across the uh, the Great Plains and Midwest and also quite a few in the Deep South. This is traditionally Republican territory. Democrats now see that, hey, you know what, we can win in some of those places. So how do you think that cinema's path or cinema's playbook will teach or affect other candidates who intend to challenge incumbents or vie for open seats in 2020? So there are a couple things that Democrats need to bear in mind. Number one, that somebody who is stylistically a moderate is someone who is, by definition, going to probably disappoint you on some votes. But remember this, Kirsten Cinema last year on the two most important issues uh, in the Congress, she voted against the Trump tax cuts, and she also voted against the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. So she was with Democrats on the things that mattered most. And she was with Trump on a lot of votes that Democrats probably can't even remember. Well, and she has pledged to work across party lines. She is a Chamber of Commerce-style Democrat. And I think that you will see a lot of candidates, at least in 2020, when we're talking just about Arizona's next Senate race, you may see those Democratic candidates try to imitate what she has done. Yeah. And I think that for Democrats across the country who may be wanting to see if this can be exported to their state, they're going to have to find somebody who has genuinely struck a bipartisan, moderate tone the way that Kirsten Sinema did for six years. This is something that she didn't just wake up and decide in, in early 2018, hey, I guess I'll be a moderate. She's been there for her the entirety of her congressional career, and she also survived her, her more liberal uh, you know, prior history before she got even to the state legislature. Right, and I guess privately, we've all been gaggling about what we are going to be watching for in 2020. And truthfully, we could get an announcement in the months ahead, weeks ahead about who Democrats intend on putting up for their 2020 candidate. And I think McSally's loss also has to play into Republicans' calculation as to who they may put up in 2020. Yeah, I think clearly the Kelly Ward wing of the party has um, has hit the wall that you can only drag the party so far to the right before you start losing folks in the middle. Well, and remember, there's another big figure who's going to be on the ballot in 2020. Yeah, uh, some guy named Trump. <laughs> He's, he casts the longest shadow and will no doubt be very active here in Arizona because he just seems to have an Arizona fetish uh, about him. He's going to be in this state, and that's going to probably create some issues for Republicans as they try and figure out once again, how do we finesse the issue of being close to Donald Trump, but 
still being your own person while being loyal to the Republican Party. And oh, by the way, there's this Democrat running to the middle. And now more than ever, it seems voters are very discerning about the candidates and the campaigns. We have seen in this cycle a lot of crossover voters in Maricopa County, especially uh, Kirsten Cinema picked up a lot of people who also voted for Doug Ducey. And so that to me signals that they want that moderate, pragmatic type of approach. Seems like they want to get stuff done. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. We have to go get stuff done. For you, our readers, check our coverage on AZ Central. We hope this really illuminates the strategies that both candidates and both campaigns employed this cycle. If you have any questions or comments, you can always find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.